<laughs> Welcome to From Skirts to Scrubs. I'm Alicia. And I'm Charlotte. And we are two medical students trying to figure out our place in medicine by looking to the past and to current events to try and understand the impact they have on us as women in medicine and women in general. Yeah. And you can find or follow us on social media. We have an Instagram and a Facebook, which are at From Skirts to Scrubs. And a Twitter, which is at FSTS underscore podcast. And you can also check out our website for more information on our episode, show notes, sources, and more at fromskirtsandscrubs.com. Yes. And you can also subscribe to our podcast. You can do that on any podcasting app that you'd like. Um, and if you want, you can leave a rating and review and Apple Podcasts or Spotify are great places to do that. Yeah. And welcome back to episode 41. I hope everyone is having a fantastic week. Honestly, I cannot believe how high these episode numbers are getting. I am forever grateful that we get to do this all the time. We have so many supporters. Um, it just makes me so happy. So I love seeing episode numbers get higher and higher. And no, it's crazy. And crazy. this week, we're going to be talking about incarcerated women. And we will be detailing the history of incarcer incarcerated women and then talking about these women today in the state of their health. From abortion access to laboring in prison, there's a lot to cover. But before we get started, Alicia, what do you know about incarcerated women and health? Honestly, don't know all that much. And I think that shows like a lack in my own knowledge and I think a lack in our education. But I know that incarcerated women experience, I mean, just like higher rates of um, health complications. Mm hmm as a result of not having access to care or not having um, their rights necessarily seen in the way that they should. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I, well, I'll say, so I actually don't know that much, um, but I'm excited to learn more because it's definitely important. I feel like the last time I've really gotten any experience or like not experience, but even exposure to incarcerated women's health was actually through the show, the show Orange is the New Black. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like they tried to like show some aspects of that. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was pretty interesting. I watched that show like when it was coming out and I truly don't remember it. But this episode makes me want to rewatch it for sure because it was a yeah. really good show. But OK, yeah, we'll we'll elaborate on a lot of things that you mentioned. So let's just get into it. So before I get started, I must say this is not a light topic. Prisons are not great places, to put it one way, and women in these environments are not treated very well. So just be aware of that going into the episode and aware of what you can handle. So I'm not sure if anyone listening have ever has ever really looked into prison conditions, but I personally have watched the there's a Netflix special that um, highlights the world's most dangerous prisons, and it goes through uh, uh, lots of countries and, and like explores these prisons and obviously they're not great places people are not really treated as humans a lot of the time in prisons and this show really talked about like what these prisons were and what they're trying to do and they tried to advocate for to figure out what the definition of a prison is and it's somewhere that's supposed to just house individuals who break the law is it supposed to punish them or are they supposed to be places of rehabilitation Places where people who have made mistakes can make up for them and re-enter society as a working member of their communities. So it's just something to ponder on as we go through the episode. Mm -hmm. All right. So we are going to start um, with the history of female prisons. 
specifically within the United States, um, just to make it easier to do the research in one area. So in the early 1800s, prisons were not these like fortresses that they are today. They were often just one small building within a community, and they would also often house all the prisoners into one room. And those prisoners would be made to carry out jobs throughout the day, different tasks, basically do labor. But this is mostly for the men. Women, on the other hand, were separated from the men, but often in the same building, confined to a much smaller area. In one New York City prison, women were kept in an attic and fed only one meal a day. Oh, my God. Even when the male prisoners were fed full three meals a day, women only got one meal. Yeah. And this is a big theme for incarcerated women. Um. The treatments and perspectives that people have of female prisoners are much worse than men. Um, can you guess why, Alicia? Like, why would they be treated so more harshly? Is it because women are supposed to have, like, a higher moral kind of standard? And so mm-hmm. we hold women, I mean, we hold women to a higher moral standard because they're, like, the mothers and the providers and blah, blah, blah. Um, but when a woman doesn't uphold those standards then she like falls from grace in a sense and ends up you know like incarcerated or whatever and is that why or is it like the reason that people who go to like women who go to prison are for certain reasons that are like frowned upon by society or maybe both i don't know maybe both yeah definitely like women in the 1800s were often held on this pedestal they were supposed to be perfect virginous like quiet figures who were you know had great morals in every way in society so when this woman would make a mistake when she would break one rule the fall down was way higher than men um Mm. don't know why we expect men to make mistakes and do terrible things but apparently that's how society works so when a woman does something then the punishment is much steeper and to put it one way, one chaplain of one of the prisons in the 1800s, quote, said, in quote, to be a male convict in this prison might be quite tolerable, but to be a female convict for any protracted period would be worse than death. It was pretty wow. harsh to be an incarcerated That is so then. harsh. That's crazy. Yeah. There is another prison attendant who said that female inmates were more trouble than men, saying that a female was worth 20 males of trouble. So. The prison guards wow. didn't exactly like the female inmates either, which is not great for them. Definitely not. Wait, did prison guards, what, were the prisons divided by gender or were they like totally separate prisons? So at first I think they would be one building, but they would be divided by gender. Oh. But I'm getting to that right now. So another okay, okay, one interesting thing, 1800s, is that there were female-only prisons And they were quite literally rehabilitation centers. So kind of like in today's society, this would mean prisons that teach inmates how to do like trade skills, basic reading and math, just knowledge and things you would need to go and get a job after leaving. Mm -hmm. But in the 1800s, this was, of course, a little different. And it was specifically for women at that time. So really, they were teaching women like how to be proper society figures. So Women Mm. would learn how to sew, cook. They learn about art, music, painting, and poetry in a a way to, like, rehabilitate them. And whatever they did 
they were trying to like prep them for a society again. Yeah, but it wasn't all pretty and nice all the time. One prison in New York was known for putting straight jackets on women and gagging oh, them. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. uh. Fights would often break out between women um, and prison guards would whip women to break them up. Oh. Yeah. Another prison in Massachusetts would use the bond between mother and child as natural incentive to keep the women in line. Don't know what that, they would do, but that's what it was said. And one doctor also um, advocated for female circumcision within prisons. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Yeah. And removal of women's ovaries to cure nymphomania, which is the uncontrollable desire oh. for sex, and masturbation. So they just take those ovaries out like you cure things. Yeah, because that's the source of all the problems. Yep. Let's name a few other horrors. Um, there were Catholic prisons that were based on um, these like Irish laundries, which were these prisons in Ireland. And basically they would, uh, the women that were imprisoned would have to clean clothes as punishment. And interesting. I'm in Ireland right now. I know. Alicia is traveling. Um, so they would make women basically like cleanse their sins, wash away their sins just all day. Oh. They'd be washing clothes. And this is 1800s. It's not like they're like throwing clothes in the in the washer and dryer. They're like using their hands and literally washing clothes mm. all day for years, which in the end is, you know, kind of a big punishment, torture. You're like literally hard labor all day, every day. There was even a doctor at the time. Um, Dr. Parvin, who worked for 10 years in a female prison where he performed unknown experiments on women and girls, allowing him to publish an illustrated and detailed text of obstetrics and gynecology, which advanced him in the field. So he was just being wow. held up by these unnamed women and girls that he used to further his own career, which is awful. So it's awful. Truly, the terrible parts of these female prisons can go on and on. And I encourage you to read up on it because it is awful and people should know about it but i want to move on now because that's not what the episode is about so specifically i want to talk about the increase in numbers of women since the 1980s specifically alicia okay. why do you think the 1980s is important so i mean i'll, I'll give you my train of thought so you yeah. don't think i'm a complete idiot but <laughs> i was like okay what would like increase like number of people in prisons and i was like the war on drugs but then i was like no the war on drugs was earlier than the 80s and then i was like was it protesting and you know like um feminist like thought and like voter stuff and no it's none of those things it's it's yeah not like getting the right to vote because that was also way earlier that was like mm -hmm. 60s and earlier so then I was like, what happened in the 80s? And I was like, Reagan or someone, whoever, Clinton? Like, I don't know who was president, but I don't you're know. On a, you're on a good train of thought. It is actually the war on drugs. Oh, it was the war on drugs? Yeah. Wow. I could have just stopped. I mean, because the, the war on drugs before, was before the 80s, but of course, like the actual effects of everything that changed during the war on drugs um, would be later. So mm. the war on drugs took effect in the United States and prison numbers literally skyrocketed after this legislation changed, which basically made possession and addiction like criminalized, basically. So a lot of people would go to yeah. prison just for being addicted to drugs. So I'll give you some numbers. Um, in 1980, there were 26,000 women in prison. And mm. in 2022, after like 
as the effects of war on drugs went on, um, there is now 153,000 women in prison. So that's oh, an, increase, wow. okay. an increase of 475% <laughs> according oh my God. to the Sentencing Project. Yeah. So with the emergence of crack cocaine in the 80s, drug mm. addiction increased in both men and women. And the addiction, the increase in addiction in women specifically led to an increase in theft among, among women, drug work, and sex work. All crimes that can result mm. in women being imprisoned. So actually, the majority of women who are incarcerated are imprisoned for nonviolent crimes, just as the ones I just mentioned. However, their sentences are often much harsher for these lesser crimes than they should be. For many reasons, I was reading about either um, they're at a like they're working in drug industry and they're scared of the people who are higher up if they ever spoke out against them. So their sentences wouldn't be shortened mm. or they don't understand different parts of how to advocate for themselves, um, resulting in longer sentencing. Also, and there are a lot fewer female prisons than like male only prisons. Which makes sense based on the number of like how the gender statistics work with prisoners. But in Michigan alone, for example, there is one one female prison. And because of this, the security of that prison are at a level of like the very few high risk female prisoners in that prison. That's what's setting the standard. So a lot of times female prisons today are are, are very harsh prison conditions even for lower offenders because there's only one prison for them all to be in and the security level needs mm. to be at the par of the people who are the most dangerous yeah, there the most dangerous right yeah even though the majority of people are not are there for nonviolent crimes but yeah. that's my overview of prison history any questions Alicia before we move on I don't think so not about that Okay, cool. Then we're going to move on and talk about women's health specifically. So we're going to start with pregnancy specifically. So historically, actually, many women who became pregnant in prison, it was actually the reason for dismissal. Like guards would be like, heck yeah, this woman's pregnant. Let's get her out of here. Um, Which is interesting because that's not what it is today at all. Now, women can either come to prison pregnant uh, or women become pregnant within prison during their time there. And um, mm-hmm. even though these women are pregnant, they are often treated less than human, which honestly kind of adds up with some stuff today. Um, women who are incarcerated are often denied basic prenatal care. Incarcerated mm-hmm. pregnancies um, often have higher risk of poor pre- perinatal outcomes, high risk of yeah. miscarriage, preterm birth, small gestational weights. Um, which mm-hmm, mm-hmm. cause even like bigger issues on the line for the infants themselves. Not only that, incarcerated women often struggle with addiction, which is not often mm-hmm. addressed during their pregnancy. And drug use during pregnancy increases risk for miscarriage and complications, mm-hmm. as well as mm-hmm. risk to the fetuses causing birth defects, and it can affect that child for their entire lives. Yeah. And in the same realm of care, HIV-positive moms often don't get adequate care, posing um, mm. increased risk to HIV transmission to the baby. Yeah. And then yeah. additionally, like smoking rates are really high in prison. Smoke, like cigarettes are often a currency within prison. So incarcerated women 
Um, about 70% of them smoke and smoking during pregnancy increases risk for preterm birth, low birth weights, mm. and birth defects of the mouth and lip. So, yeah, not a great place to be pregnant and there's not a lot of resources, as you can tell. In addition to drug yeah. use, there's just a general lack of healthcare um, that poses an increased risk to women. So if you already have chronic health conditions such as hypertension or diabetes and it's not being controlled and you are pregnant, it can get exponentially worse during pregnancy, leading to right. conditions like preeclampsia or gestational diabetes, which are two very dangerous diseases, one to the mom and one to the baby. In addition to increased risks during pregnancy, laboring in prison is horrendous to put it one way. And here's a mm. short little antidote just to give you an idea. So it's by a 26-year-old um, mom who was in labor while in jail. It says, at, at 5 a.m., Diana called a deputy of the jail to tell him that she was in labor. Instead of going to get immediate help or transferring her to the hospital, the medical team of the jail decided to wait it out. Oh, no. In the following hours, there was video proof that Diana continued through labor in her cell in obvious agony, screaming for help, completely alone. Mm. Five hours and 44 minutes after she told the deputy that she was in labor, she gave birth to her son, still completely alone. Oh, my God. I know. Terrible. Awful. It was Ugh. even worse. That the horrors do not end there. So in 27 states, it is still legal to shackle women during labor. Oh, my God. What the heck? Yeah. So women, um, incarcerated women who are going through labor, are often shackled on their transport to the hospital and then chained to hospital beds by their ankles and their wrists while giving labor. And the reasoning that like jails and prison guards would give to keep them in the shackles is to pre prevent escape attempts and protect others. But like when you think about it, no. like a woman who's in labor is in literally no shape to escape. And or like really do anything, you know, additionally, yeah. being shackled during labor puts women at increased risk. Like one, the labor could take longer because you literally can't get in the right position to labor in because you're shackled yeah. to a bed and you can't really move your extremities that much. Yeah. Women have also fallen out of the beds, but they're still attached to them. So they're literally hanging oh. from the beds. Oh, my God. Yeah. And um, the shackles can often cause a lot of bruising and cuts in women's skin yeah. from them pulling against them. And also, like, the arms and legs swelling during labor. And then right. the restraints are cutting into the skin and breaking skin. Also, if there's an emergency and she needs to be transported to the operating room, the shackles just slow down that entire process. Mm. And um, there's even one account of a doctor who had, like, point blank asked an officer if they could remove the shackles, saying that she was in too much pain, they weren't like they just weren't needed, and they still said no. Shackles cannot uh -oh. even be removed from patients who have had an epidural, who literally what can't even, can't even feel. You can't even move. Like yeah, you can't move. Um, yeah, it's you terrible. will not be running away anytime soon. I will add one initiative that I think is great. Um, is introducing doula care into prisons. There's a lot of yeah. doula prison projects and programs that specifically focus on incarcerated women and attempting to improve their pregnancy experience. So I think that is fantastic and is a great solution, not solution, but a great step 
in helping with huge um, yeah better massive for pregnant incarcerated women i agree yeah but what about the baby like the woman gives birth and then what what do you think what do you think happens to the baby <laughs> i don't know i was thinking about that i was like bro you're supposed to go to a pediatrician like within your first like week of life is mm-hmm. this baby if this mom isn't even getting medical care is the baby gonna get medical care where is it gonna go it's not gonna stay with her yeah so it's interesting so a lot of times most babies um are separated from their mother within 24 hours and being uh. are given to extended family or foster homes a lot of times it looked like the moms can kind of like select where they would go if they um, were given enough privileges or the families would help figure out where the babies were going to go. But yeah. separation of mother and child that early is not great. Obviously, is a barrier to breastfeeding. No. It also um, yeah. has like huge tolls on the mom and the baby. The baby can have emotional and behavioral problems later in life. They can have lower self-esteem and less success in peer-to-peer relationships, apparently. Mm. And that also can cause increased stress levels in the mom which is not good because her body just went through an extremely stressful event but one interesting solution that has been proposed that some prisons have undertaken is the presence of prison nursery programs so okay these are programs that run for almost one to two years like from time of birth um, where a mom can raise their child from within the prison so these nurseries oh, exist what? in the like prison. Like a daycare almost? Literally. They exist in the prison. The mom doesn't quite like, I actually don't know if they live with the baby, but basically the nursery is like a separate part of the prison where the children can be raised. And only for, uh, I think the highest program I saw was 30 months, which is like a little more than two and a half years. Um, and for women to qualify for this program, they have to have... N- absolutely no history involving um violent crimes and they cannot have any history of Mm -hmm. child neglect or child abuse um which like i mentioned a lot of incarcerated women are in for nonviolent crimes. so this would apply to a lot of women and research on these programs from what i can tell are is quite limited because they're pretty new but like the questions about them run rampant that was like like everything i read was like should babies be raised in prison like the environment is very different from the outside world. You know, even if they're doing a good job at keeping the separation of maybe what happens in prison versus what happens in a nursery, it's still different. It's a very different environment yeah. than most children would experience. So people just wonder, like, how much will this affect, affect these kids? And um, what's more important, like the ability for a mother to care for her child, feed the child and bond with the child versus the environment that they grew up in so being really interesting to see in the future like if these types of programs take a hold and um what happens with those families but i think it's an interesting solution to propose um but the babies yeah. can only stay until they're about two and a half so after that they do need to go somewhere else so it's, that's another thing is like mm, do you bond and then you duration the of time away. right yeah all interesting things yeah. to ponder all right but what if a woman is pregnant into or becomes pregnant and doesn't want to be pregnant can she have an abortion Mm. well short answer is yes if abortion is Mm. legal in her state that she is in oh then it is her right to 
have an abortion. Prisons cannot yes. strip people of constitutional and human rights. Prisons are whatever what their purpose is, whether punishment, rehabilitation, whatever, they cannot strip people of their constitutional rights. However, the longer answer would be people don't always get the abortions they deserve. Correctional staff yes. can hear a woman ask for an abortion and then simply refuse to provide those services. Oh. They can say, I don't, I don't hear you. I'm not going to arrange the transportation for you or call those doctors in for you. Like, right. And then what, what can, she, what can she do? You know, there's nothing that she can really do to further that access without the help yeah. of the people who are around her all the time. And then further on that topic of reproductive health, incarcerated women often struggle with obtaining birth control in prisons as well. And one study looked at if women even want birth control, and half of them said that they do want birth control. They want to avoid pregnancy. And then over half of those women who said they want to avoid pregnancy, they said they would either like to start or continue their current birth control methods. However, access to birth control requires continuity and care a lot of times you need someone to pr- continuously prescribe things sometimes um and that's something many in- mm. inmates might not have privilege to and it's important to think of like i i can already hear people thinking oh my god why would you give incarcerated women birth control like blah 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 but birth control is not right. always for pregnancy prevention either like the reg- pregnancy prevention is important and people have a right to do that but also Oral birth control is used for a number of medical conditions. A woman could have PCOS. She could have fibroids. She could have endometriosis. She could have many things. And birth control could be a solution for her for those. So it's an important medication as any other medication is. Additionally, access to condoms is, of course, very important in helping women decrease their risk to STI. And yes, sex is very prevalent in prisons. People do get pregnant. They do get STIs. If you watch Orange is the New Black, yes, yes, all that. From visitors who come and see the women to the guards to other prisoners, it happens. And thus, these women are at increased risk for set STS. And among incarcerated women, HIV and syphilis are at the highest rates, like higher rates Ugh. than the normal population. Yeah, I totally believe that. Yeah. And also, many STIs are asymptomatic in women they don't experience symptoms and without frequent testing they can have a disease for a very long time which is not good because diseases like chlamydia and gonorrhea if untreated post women at an increased risk for pelvic inflammatory disease which has its own list of complications for that woman later in her life so things like frequent testing is needed and i read a lot of articles that would talk about these problems and then propose solutions which was really cool to read and one solution was you know just have frequent sti testing and they don't have to be mandatory people can decide not to get them but there can be women who do want them and then they can get the treatment because treatment of stis are often very easy to treat you just need to know that you have Mm -hmm. them it's true yeah also women entering prison are at a higher risk of having hiv having hep b and having hep c um Mm. which all of those Diseases are often due to drug use or sex work, um, which is usually the offenses that women have when they are imprisoned. Mm-hmm. And often, when these women enter the system, they are not given adequate treatment for these diseases, which is really terrible. Considering diseases like HIV can literally kill you, but is extremely right. treatable with the right medications. So, 
if women just had that access, their health would be exponentially better. And then one last reproductive health aspect is menstruation. And to be honest, sometimes I forget about menstruation. I don't know, like even in hospitals, just because a woman is sick doesn't mean she just doesn't menstruate anymore. And I often find that a woman will ask for a pad and I'll be like, oh yeah, I'll ask the nurse where to grab them and go grab them. And then like the male residents will be like, oh my God, like what? She needed a pad. I'm like, yeah, she's a woman. She menstruates. And it's just something I think people don't really think about when, you know, people are putting yeah. not usually in. And it obviously right. still ap- applies for incarcerated women. And many times menstruation is a time of emotional and physical distress. And if a woman in prison is not given clean undergarments on a daily basis or the appropriate menstrual products and like time to shower and things like that, the menstruation can become very uncleanly weak for that woman and embarrassing time for her as well, increasing her own emotional and physical stress. Very sadly. And truly like I could go on and on and on with all of these things. Incarcerated women are less likely to get routine screening for breast and cervical cancer. Incarcerated women have increased risk for poor dental health. They're 10 times more likely to commit suicide while incarcerated than the general population. And they're more at risk than incarcerated men, which is very interesting because in the general population, men have a higher risk of suicide than women. So it completely flips for incarcerated Mm. individuals. They also have an increased risk of mental health problems and PTSD, um, as well as past medical histories of sexual and domestic abuse. Yeah. So I want to point out that all of this, all this lack of basic medical care is in violation of the 1976 Supreme Court case Estelle versus Gamble, which established that the deliberate indifference to serious medical needs of prisoners yeah. violates the Eighth Amendment, which is the amendment that prohibits cruel and unusual punishment. And it requires by the Supreme Court case to provide medical care to inmates. Yeah. I want to end this um, section with a quote from an incarcerated woman pertaining to receiving medical care at her facility, where she said, the lack of health care for us has led us to no longer refer to it as health care. Instead, we call the medical system death care. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all I have for you. That was a lot. A lot, a lot of information. It wasn't fun and exciting and funny like usual, but it is um, is important. important. No, it was super important. It's, yeah. it's crazy to look into and to read into. And there's so many books that talk about these types of things. I encourage people to look into it more. I Just looking into the prison system in the United States in general, I think is very important. The Netflix show I mentioned is interesting, but there's also a, there's a documentary called 13th, which is really interesting and in talking about um, the prison system in America on that specifically more about men. I haven't seen many resources mm-hmm. about women um, who are incarcerated, but either way, educate yourself on prison systems in the United States. Um, there's a lot of problems with it. And then, of course, there's even more problems when it comes to women. So I think we should get just into talking about it then. I agree. All right. on this episode. This was a crazy episode. I think it really touched on a lot of things that I didn't know about and 
like, I mean, did a fair bit of educating, of course. I think the first thought that really struck me was something that you said in passing almost um, about just like women, incarcerated women and the struggles that they face. And it was around the concept of like how women don't quote unquote, like know how to advocate for themselves. And I think that's so Mm -hmm. interesting because it like, I obviously don't have that much experience with like prisons or incarcerated individuals, but (laughs) I really love the movie Shawshank Redemption. Oh, I've never seen it. Oh, it's so fantastic. It's one of my favorite movies. Mm -hmm. And in it, there's like, like Morgan Freeman is essentially like a character who like, then there's multiple characters who like end up like getting out early for good behavior or like whatever. And I wonder if the rates of being given the opportunity for like parole sooner than others, Mm -hmm. like, I wonder if that happens more in men than in women. And I guess like, there's no way to even really look at it because like, I I do imagine that there's I know that there's like more male incarcerated individuals mm-hmm. than female. And so the rates might be skewed. But I guess I just am like, oh, it it might be interesting to think about how women don't necessarily know how to like you were saying, advocate for themselves like mm-hmm. the way that men do. And so they can never like ask like, oh, I've been on good behavior. Can I like be considered for parole? Yeah. Like they would never know or th- think to do that i mean i wouldn't for sure not at all yeah and on top of that like going back to the rates increasing um after the war on drugs like a lot of times people have been in prison simply because of their addictions and i that is like a good reason to advocate for being on parole earlier especially oh definitely especially as like the system tries to um especially during COVID, that was like a big thing is that um, a lot of people were released from prisons during COVID. And if I remember correctly, there's a lot of times for people who were admitted on nonviolent crimes, such as like yeah. being in there for drugs. So yeah, all good reasons to advocate for yourself. Yeah. And those are my like initial kind of thoughts. Yeah. Alicia, how do you think we talk obviously all the time about perceptions of women and how it affects their access to healthcare and their healthcare in general. And how do you think those ideas of women and women's health are amplified within incarcerated women? So I think this is like an interesting, this is an interesting question because I think that the way that we see women and their health obviously has changed a lot over time, as we know, but then it's also I think it like differs among classes and like things about women. So I think we, one, tend to not believe women when it comes to their bodies and their health. Mm -hmm. And so if a woman says that she's in pain or she's experiencing X, she's already at baseline, less likely to be believed. But then especially Mm -hmm. like an incarcerated woman, that's just going to be like a hundred times worse. Like the example that you gave of that woman, that mom who was laboring, who was like in pain and maybe the guards, I don't know, I'm maybe even giving them too much credit. I'm like, maybe she was having Braxton Hicks contractions, which again, like one, I'm probably giving them too much credit. But two, even if they were, the if she were experiencing Braxton Hicks, the proper thing to do would be to like 
call triage, which is basically the like OBGYN ED mm-hmm. emergency like room thing and call them and be like, hey, what should we do? And then likely that mom has to come in for a scan or an ultrasound and I guess that becomes too much work because now all of that is not on the patient to do, but on the system. Yeah. But something else I was thinking about though, is like in terms of classes of women and like where they stand, I think upper class, like women are just like seen in many ways to be kind of like how they were seen in the past with like the rest cure, you know, like if you're Mm -hmm. sick, like you should rest, you should take it easy. And that's not the case for incarcerated women. And so Mm -hmm. there's also like a class divide. And of course, like you can't talk about incarceration without talking about the school to prison pipeline and Mm -hmm. like kids of color and women of color. So yeah, for sure. There's like a lot of layers to it, honestly. I agree. And I think also a big thing is education. Like even within the medical system, there's not enough education on women's health specifically. So there's already struggles there. And then when you take it to the next level for incarcerated women and they have to express their concerns to um, the people that work in the prison, if they're not educated on women's health, then how are they supposed to, one, believe women and two, like know what to do? You know, they could say, oh, I'm, yeah. in, I'm in labor. And they're like, ah. Oh, I knew someone who labored for 24 hours once. Everyone labors that long. Like leaving her for five hours won't be right. that. And if they have literally no idea, then like how are they supposed to help women as well? So I really think female only prisons, like if you're only going to work with women all day, then shouldn't you know a little bit about their health? Um, and I think that's something that could really be improved upon is just like educating presence themselves on women's health. And I think that would help a lot with believing women and getting them better, like as, as a good step to getting them better care. And then kind of yeah. along those lines, do you have any ideas of like how the healthcare system can better assist incarcerated women in the areas we kind of spoke out today? Any ideas just, um, I don't know, this episode made me feel like, oh, maybe it'd be interesting to work with incarcerated women and um, like, what could we do? Yeah. Yeah. No, I was thinking about that because I, I mean, we already talked about like the very basic, almost like seemingly too easy option to ban shackles on women. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know why that still exists. That's barbaric. That's Mm -hmm. medieval. We do not need to shackle our patients. They're not going to up and run. Mm -hmm. The pregnant woman who's actually laboring is not going to up and run. Yeah. So there's that. But then... The other thing I was thinking about, as you also mentioned, is like having more immediate doula care provided to patients, mm-hmm. like incarcerated women. I think that would be really wonderful because it's like the doula can be kind of the patient's advocate yeah. even more than than they can advocate for themselves or mm-hmm. they need to be advocated for. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I think the doula program is so cool and interesting. And I know I that- agree. I hope that it like really takes off. But yeah, I think it would be more interesting to see like more student groups even like start to work with incarcerated populations specifically in areas of health um, because I think those are easy things to do and um, working especially with inmates who are there for nonviolent crimes would be really interesting and I think a good step because I think students 
at universities and medical schools and things um, are some of the most like passionate people out there. They can really like head start um, cool initiatives and programs and um, start some really cool things in this world. Yeah, no, the, I know. And I know if it's like a couple that exist and I think they're like amazing. So if if they can take off, like that would also just like add to the space. And like there's so much work to be done in the space, too. And then of course, just like upstream work that healthcare systems can be better at is helping women get to spaces where they don't even become incarcerated, like working with addiction and women, like working with these populations who are going to prison and um, helping them from the start. So they never even get to this point. But with that, I will end the episode. If you enjoyed this topic today um, and want to learn more about topics involving women and women's health, then go ahead and subscribe to the podcast and whatever your favorite podcasting app is. You can also leave us a rating and review. Apple Podcasts is the best place for both of those. And you can also leave us a rating on Spotify. Yes. And you can follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and they're all, you know, you could just look up from Skirts to Scrubs and you'll find us. You can check out our website as well. That has our show notes, information on us and our sources, merch, more, all the things that's from Skirts to Scrubs.com. And lastly, here's to the women who fought for us to be where we are today. And may we do the same for those who come after us. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. See you next time. See you.